This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayn, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. This year, we have been discussing Shailot Shavot of the 20th century. A few people have asked me, how come I've already dealt with some of the greatest poskim? I've also dealt with some of the lesser-known poskim, but I haven't dealt with perhaps the major posek of the 20th century, at least in Chutzlaretz, in the United States, it seems to me that it is obvious who I'm talking about when I would say the major posek with the most sheilot to chivot, which discuss the most issues. And obviously, the, we are relating, we're relating now to Rav Moshe Feinstein, the author of Igros Moshe. I have not yet discussed him for a number of reasons. One, the amount of chivot that he has would make it difficult for me to choose one week of pointing out two or three or four salient she'elot she- u'chuvot, which were extremely important in the 20th century. Ramosha has discussed almost every issue in Jewish law that has at all been raised in, the, in this generation, and many of those shuvos have worldwide implications and are very, very important and certainly should be discussed. So, I thought maybe later we'll discuss Ramosha in greater depth than we have done some of the other postkin. Secondly, I'm taping this today on Zayin Adar, which is actually the birthday of Ramosha Feinstein, and it will be hopefully listened to by people this week, and this Shabbos, Yud Gimel Adar, is the yard site of Rav Moshe Feinstein, so I thought it would be appropriate Dafka this week to talk about Rahagon Rav Moshe Feinstein, the author of Igris Moshe. Rav Moshe was born in 1895 in Belarusia. He learned in the early years with his father, who was a Tamid Chacham, also a Poseik, a Rav, and he did go to Yeshiva, but Little to me is known about his career in yeshiva. I do know that he had some connection with Rabbi Sezaman and others, but mainly I think he was almost autodidactic and certainly learned with his father. At a young age, when he was 26, he was appointed the Rav of Luban. 16 years, he was a Rav in Europe. In 1937, when there were pressures from the government, he left to America in America, eventually he founded the yeshiva Mesifta Teferis Yerushalayim on the Lower East Side and was involved in many areas of Jewish life. He became known as a leader of the Jewish community. He was on the Mot, in fact, I think he was the Rosh Mot, he was certainly was a big leader and supporter of the Aguda, a big proponent of Chinuch Hatzmai. And as a Rosh Hashiva, he gave shiurim, and he published volumes of Dibros Moshe, which are chidushim 
on Mesechtos, generally the Mesechtos that are learned in Yeshiva, although there are areas of Kachim that were printed there also. However, more than anything else that we talk about Rab Moshe, he was Rabban Shal Agola in the respect that he was the Ktovat, he was the address that people turned to when they had Shailot in America. His Psak was almost universally accepted. There were certain issues that had great implication upon Jewish life, and in those areas, Rav Moshe had very broad shoulders, accepted responsibility, decided almost any question, no matter what the implications were, and gave his halachic opinion. Sometimes this led to great controversy. There were cases where people not only disagreed with Rav Moshe, but actually threatened him, came almost to blows over certain issues which they felt affected the Jewish life very much. One of those areas, we'll mention briefly today, the area of artificial insemination, as well as other areas, became a tremendous source of controversy with a certain world of the uh, Orthodox Jewry in, in the United States of America. Ramosha dealt with many questions, as I said, in all areas. Specifically in medical areas, he has very important shuvas. In fact, much work has been done about the work of Ramosha Feinstein, and separate volumes have been printed already about his medical decisions, about doctorates have been written about Ramosha Feinstein and his important psakim. In medical issues, he very often consulted with his son-in-law, a rabbi professor, Dr. Tendler, who is a Tamid Chacham and a biologist, and discussed these issues with Ramosha. One of the famous questions I remember that was discussed, became an issue in the newspapers in America, was a case where there were Siamese twins who were connected, but the doctors knew that they could not separate them and have both children survive. One would die immediately, and one would continue to live. And Rav Moshe and Rav Tendler, Shibad Elchayim Tovim, sat and discussed this question, had to even convince the doctors who relied on the authority of Rav Moshe, on the ethical knowledge of Rav Moshe, and his understanding of medical issues, to resolve this particular issue. Any modern sefer that deals with almost any important halachic topic quotes Rav Moshe right and left. The amount of chuvas is almost staggering. How many chuvas Rav Moshe succeeded in writing, although he was so busy in giving shiurim and supporting his yeshiva and supporting the different organizations that he was involved with, and in general being a leader of American Jewry. Rav Moshe was, as I mentioned earlier, Rav Moshe was nifter on Yud Gimel Adar the day before Purim in 1986. We will now begin to address some of the major issues that Rav Moshe discussed, and also the, I, I picked certain ones to show a certain style of life in the United States at the time. One of the famous psakim of Rav Moshe was about drinking milk that was supervised by the American government, but not supervised by Jewish people. Rav Moshe calls this in his style of Hebrew, chalava companies, pshebim dinatenu, the milk of our companies. And Ramosha's basic psak is well known, of course, 
that government supervision is sufficient to permit one to drink milk in the United States of America. The understanding is that the companies would be heavily fined, and some would even lose their business, they would have to close down their factories, if the government would find them doing something which is against American law. Inasmuch as we know this to be kosher, although we haven't seen it, but we we can rely on the American government, on the fact that the people are afraid to would be afraid to go against the government rules, and Moshe rules that we can rely on this to drink the milk. In the Hebrew phrase would be Yediyah below Re'iyah. Something that I know, even though that I don't see it, that I haven't seen it, is that considered enough in certain areas of Jewish law. In the first rather short shiva that Rav Moshe wrote about that, he just discussed that issue, Yediyah below Re'iyah, and therefore he said, it is certainly sufficient. Yediyah below Re'iyah is enough, and therefore we can be matir, we allow people to drink what he calls chalava companies. And he said, anybody who wants to feel lenient and drink this is has great reasons to do so, and many people do it, and chas v'sham, that we would say, that anybody should say they're doing something wrong according to the din. However, Rabbi Moshe did say, and he reiterates this a number of times, that a person who he calls a Baal Nefesh, a person who's probably, would translate somehow, a person more sensitive would, to, to his soul, to, the, to Judaism in general, would, it would be appropriate to be Machmir, and he says it's not Yuhara. Now, Yuhara is a feeling of hubris that we say, if the general community is very, the, the part acts in one way, and a person would uh, act in a way that somehow would show that he's better than the other the other people, that's an act of hubris, an act of yuara, which would not not be uh, appropriate in Jewish law. Rav Moshe says this is not yuara, and Rav Moshe said I myself am machmir, but who wants to be mekil can do so without any hesitation. He does raise in the first tshuva an issue if a person had been drinking what we call the milk that was done under actually Jewish supervision until now, and now he sees a tshuva remosha, would he ha- would he be allowed to can, can, would he be allowed now to drink the, the milk of the companies? Or would you have to say that he made, it's as if a neder that he made to drink only the milk that was supervised by Jews? Rabbi Moshe points out, if he thought that it was usher to drink the government-supervised milk, then he is allowed now to drink the government-supervised milk because he didn't have... A, it wasn't a nether. He thought it was usher, and now he finds he's mistaken. But if he knew that it was permitted, and yet he kept the minag of not drinking it, then it might have the din of a nether. This question that was discussed in 1954 was repeated with another edition a few months later, 
and another, a few months later, where people argued with him and discussed the issue. People wanted to claim that perhaps we cannot rely on the government supervision, and in general, there were also economic reasons that the companies did not want people to drink the, the, the companies run by Jewish people with Jewish supervision were obviously affected by such a decision and it could be that for that reason or partially for that reason, Rabbi Moshe said it is appropriate for certain to be, people to be machmir. I always knew this tshuva and I think this is one of the questions where the influence of Rabbi Moshe was so strongly felt all over the United States that I think it became almost customary all over that people drank milk based on government supervision. I had trouble personally understanding what's the reason to be machmir. Why would Rab Moshe himself be machmir? If you would say that he felt it was a nether, I certainly could understand that point. But according to the din, would there be a reason to say really that you should not rely on this nether? In the last volume that I have, of the Tshuva Sadabasha, volume 8, which is actually the fifth volume of Arachaim and the third, fourth volume of Yeridaya. Rav Moshe has another Tshuva about this. And he wrote, he wrote there that in Toronto there was an issue raised by people about the milk of the companies. And again, Rav Moshe wrote that there is a real reason to be makil because you cannot sell milk. That was a trafe by government supervision. But in the note that's printed in this volume, this volume was printed and edited and worked upon by the relatives of Rabbi Moshe, by his, by his students, specifically Hagong, Rabbi Shabtai, Rappaport of Yerushalayim, who is by marriage a grandson of Rav Moshe and Rav Mordechai Kandler, a grandson of Rav Moshe, worked in this volume. In there, there is a note that this shuva has been reiterated a number of times. That Rav Moshe said that you can rely on the chalav of the mill of the companies today, and yet he often emphasized that it is proper to be machmir, and in fact in the yeshiva world he recommended that people buy milk that was milked by with Jewish supervision but if there would be big financial losses, etc. you could certainly rely on the heter in the phrase that I found there there is a statement that I actually heard as a child as a young man in America that's reiterated here when I was young, I heard a rumor that Ramosha once received a phone call from people who were very much opposed to this tshuva and said to Ramosha that we heard that you were that you permitted chalav akum as if a terrible accusation. They heard that Ramosha permitted milk of non-Jews, and I understood then through rumor. I must be careful about this. That Ramosha said, "I never said chalav akum is permitted," which somehow satisfied the people on the phone until Rabbi Moshe explained that I said that this is considered Chal of Yisrael. Chal of Yisrael does not mean milk necessarily milked 
under the Jewish supervision. It means milk that was milked under supervision. And I, Paskin, said, Rabbi Moshe, that the, the government supervision is similar to the Jewish supervision, and therefore this is called Chalavakum. In fact, in this volume, the statement is written, Shekein ledato gam chalav ha-chaverot, 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 hu-chalav Yisrael ledina. That according to the opinion of Rabbi Moshe, the milk of companies is Chal of Yisrael. In fact, these editors pointed out that whenever Rabbi Moshe said it would be a good idea to be machmir, he never said it would be a good idea to be machmir and drink Chal of Yisrael. He said it would be a good idea to be machmir and drink the milk that was supervised by Jews. But he would not say to drink, a good chumr would be to drink Chal of Yisrael because he felt this was Chal of Yisrael. Based on that, I, I had a greater difficulty understanding why Rav Moshe felt it would be appropriate to be, to be Machmer. This is Chal of Yisrael, so why should you be Machmer? So, if you would say, because of Neder, I understood, perhaps. And, of course, that's they refer to that in the Tshuva. I asked once Rav Shabtai, the grandson of Rav Moshe, and I asked him, why was it that Rav Moshe really was Machmir? What was the reason that he really felt it was to be Machmir? At one point he told me, if I remember correctly, and again, we would have to check to see that this is accurate, I think that Rav Shabtai told me that Rav Moshe himself had Chal of Yisrael and what we call Chal of Yisrael, the milk that was milked by under Jewish supervision, and he had milk of companies in his refrigerator, and only he was Machmir, to drink the chalav that was milked under Jewish supervision, but for the rest of the family, he served regular milk of the companies in America. And it could really, really be that he felt he was machmir only because of the reason of neder, or maybe there were other reasons that I'm not familiar with. In any in any event, this question and the Saka Rav Moshe seems to me to be the main reason why, in general, people accepted the chalav, the milk of companies in, in, in the United States. Of course, in other countries, one would have to discuss what the government supervision is in that particular country. Could you rely on this shiva? It should be emphasized this shiva was written in the United States for use in of milk that was produced in the United States. Another issue that perhaps isn't as well known, but again, I felt it was an interesting issue to to discuss, was a simple question was discussed by Moshe. A person asked him in 1940 if you were allowed to cheat on Regents' examinations. The New Yorkers are aware that in New York there are state examinations given in high schools that are called regents' examinations. And apparently the question was asked, since in certain yeshivas it's known that the yeshivas themselves allow the students to steal the tests, to have the answers, how would this be permitted according to Jewish law? Reb Moshe does not at all discuss any pros and cons. He says simply, clearly, that it's extremely obvious that it's usur, not only because of Dina de Machusa, because the law of the land prohibits cheating, but it's a biblical law, a Din Torah, says Reb Moshe, that you're not allowed to cheat on such a test. And he explains 
that this might also involve stealing of money because many people are hired today based on their marks based on the fact that they got accepted to schools based on marks and if those marks are based on cheating then they're fooling people who are hiring them they're hired under false pretenses and they're actually stealing money from the people that hire them he also said you're not allowed to lie at all when I was in school in America, I remember that people used to sign on the regents test. At the, at the bottom line of the test, there used to be a statement that I hereby swear that I have not received nor accepted any aid on this test. So I remember students who discussed with me the laws of Shvua Bechsav. Shvua normally has to be done orally. A person pronounces the words. Would a Shvua in writing be a Shvua? And there's Shvua, the Shvus Yaakov, and many others have discussed this issue. They also discussed perhaps we could sign the declaration before we wrote the test, before we received any aid. And I remember telling them that if they would spend as much time studying the material as well as studying the particular laws involved in cheating, if they were allowed to cheat, they wouldn't have to cheat. They would know the material. In fact, Rav Moshe does mention a similar argument. Rav Moshe says that there are people who will say that it's Bittal Taira, that a person should uh, not have to spend so much time studying studying the material because uh, of the fact that he wants to learn Torah. Rav Moshe would say it's not... If you're going to study secular subjects, then it's only a sort of laziness that you study, and, and not, but not well enough to know the material. The, you're wasting time anyway. You at least should use it for good purposes. If you assume it's wasting of time, at least use it for good purposes. And therefore, you're also educating yourself to do something improperly, to do something out of a feeling of laziness. But then, Reb Moshe, almost in a form of naivete, said the, the, the question, of course, it was based upon the fact that the, of this rumor that the yeshivas allow students to cheat. Reb Moshe said, of course, this is a lie. It was a lie that was spread by people who detest yeshivas, people who want to destroy the yeshivas, because it's known that the stu- yeshiva students are excellent in limudei chol, in secular subjects. In fact, generally they did get better marks than students in public schools. And we should not believe this rumor at all. But certainly he felt it was usher to cheat on tests. When I was a uh, ram in Israel, when I first came to Israel, I taught in the yeshiva high school called Midrash Yatnoam Padis Chana. At that time, Rav Yogel uh, knew that there was a, a lot of discussion about cheating in the Midrashiyah, and he wanted to explain to them halachically what the situation would be. He went to ask one of the gedolim in Bnei Brak. I don't remember if this he told it about the Chazonish or about Rav Shach, I don't remember. But I remember that the discussion he had with the students, and he said, you can perhaps debate the pros and cons about cheating, but a person who does it is a manuva. It would be a disgusting person. It's wrong to cheat, it's against the ethics and morals of Judaism, and therefore it certainly would not be uh, permitted and interesting to see how Rav Moshe related to it 
with an area of gazela involved, not just gnevas das, not just the question of ethics, not the question of laziness, but actually a, a question that might involve dinim amonos. One of the areas that I feel Rav Moshe was not accepted within what we call today the modern Orthodox world, or what I think is the majority of the uh, non-Haredi world in America, was an area of studying Torah for women. In 1920, Rav Moshe was asked a question about societies that used to meet, and in the beginning of the meeting of the society, the meetings were to discuss the issues of the society, the the uh, different laws of the, of the society, but they be- used to begin with, by learning always something of Dvar Torah, either a din in the Shulchan Aruch or something about Musr, and the, que- the person who asked the question asked, actually asked if the women would have to leave, because women do not study Torah, should not study Torah, would be the assumption of the questioner. And Rav Moshe said, no, they're allowed to stay. And the reason they're allowed to stay is because the topic that's being studied is, let's say, Musr. Musr would apply to women too. Actually, women do go to Hakel. And they can hear basic things about Judaism. If it is a, a straightforward halacha, he thought they could listen to that too. But he said, that's, that's, that's okay. But then they asked him another question about actually what women should learn. This question was asked by Rev. El Yishvei, the Rosh Hashiva in Philadelphia. And he, the question was, in the schools known as the Yaakov, they want to teach Mishnayis. Now, we're not even talking about Gemara yet. We're talking about Mishnayis. And the question was asked, in Beis Yaakov, can you study Mishnayis? That Moshe, in a very short shuva, just quotes the Rambam, based on the Gemara in Sota, that teaching a woman Torah is like teaching Tiflis. Obviously, we could give a, a long shear on topic, what is Tiflis? But nevertheless, it seems to be something that's not a good idea. So, Teaching Torah Shabbat is different than teaching Torah Shabbat And therefore, Rav Moshe said, Mishnayis, which is Torah Shabbat women should not learn. It's like they learn Tiflis. And we should stop women from learning Mishnayis. Rav Moshe does permit learning Pirkayavos, which are Mishnayis, which deal with ethics, with good behavior, and ethical behavior, and therefore he felt that that would be a good idea to teach them understanding and teaching of Avas Torah and good Midos. But not other Mesechtos. Now, Moshe ended by saying this question is so obvious that I don't have to write any more about it. It's a short tshuva, and it's obviously Yasser. This tshuva, I feel, was one of the areas that was not accepted today in the what we would call the world that generally does listen to Rav Moshe, but in this area, they relied on the psak of Rav Moshe Feinstein. Oh, I'm sorry, they relied on the psak of Rav Salavechik and others, which, to my mind, had a great deal of influence in the curriculum of the schools in America, 
I don't know what the situation is in most Beis Yaakovs, but certainly in the in the uh, wide range of schools today that do learn Mishnayis and many do learn Gemara, they relied on Rav Salavechik in this issue and simply ignored the tshuva of Rav Moshe Feinstein. The last issue that we'll mention today, because I did mention it earlier, even though it's a much longer and greater topic, was the issue of artificial insemination. In the first volume of Evan Ezer, a tshuva that was written already in 1959, Ramosha was asked about artificial insemination. People, at first, wanted to forbid it in all cases. In fact, some people felt that it was actually considered adultery for a married woman to receive uh, artificial insemination. And in the volume of Otsra Poskim, they quoted a book uh, called Menachem Meshiv. I don't know, I'm not familiar with that particular sefer, that he said, Chas v'shalom itznus. And Moshe said, Zedvarim ba'alma. I think he just meant it's... Uh, nothing to take into consideration is certainly not a problem of adultery others raised an issue and he also quotes a sefer called Minchas Yechiel who quotes the Zechel HaChagiga also Sfarim that I'm not familiar with that say that in such a case the child would be a mamzer a married woman received artificial insemination, the, the child would, which would result from that would be a mamzer. Moshe said that is ridiculous because you need a maizabia, you need the, the actual, the sexual act to create a mamzer, and this is certainly not a sexual act, and therefore its child is not a mamzer. And therefore Rav Moshe wrote, when the situation is dire, a woman cannot have children, this is the only way for her to have children, Ramosha said there are good reasons to be mekel. This truth, of course, was done in consultation with Rav Moshe David Tendler uh, to discuss the various uh, ways and uh, systems and what it means actually and how it's done to before Rav Moshe issues Psak. But Rav Moshe also said that the a zera this the semen of a of a nunju would be a, a better idea because the child would be Jewish and as much as his mother Jewish and you don't have to worry about any forbidden relationships because the nunju has no relatives he's not considered a uh, uh, his children would not be considered related to the child that would be born out of, of this artificial insemination, and therefore Rabbi Moshe said it would be permitted when it, the situation is very severe and they really want a child, etc., etc. This question, of course, received tremendous amount of publicity, and many people felt that Moshe was destroying the purity of Jewish life, and they again raised the arguments that the child of such a thing would be a mamzer, and the the woman would be considered an adulterer, and also her husband. In fact, Rav Moshe suffered a lot from this particular tshuva. As I said before, he had very broad shoulders and was willing to face this question head on and give his halachic authority for the psaq that he felt was was halachically valid. He repeated this a number of times, and in Evan Ezer Chelek Dalid, Rav Moshe wrote again, Ani 
Ladina lo shayachrischaripem. I have no regrets from what I from of what I wrote. The leka shum chashashot bezriat zekashal nachim. There is no there are no issues involved if you do artificial insemination of a non Jew. However, Rav Moshe said the master lo haredi lasoskeng. I did not tell people to do it because on one hand the man is not does not fulfill the mitzvah purvu. And the woman is not mechuyiv in And therefore I felt it was not a good idea. The people that, however, argue with me, according to Din, Rav Moshe said, I, I explained to them, and I argued at, with them, and I don't want to even discuss it anymore. To advise people to do it? That's not what I said. I just said, if you do it, you, there is a place to be mekil, and the child would be kosher, even for a kohen. He mentioned some of the people that disagree with him, the author of the Chalkas Yaakov, who we discussed previously, did write a tshuva against Rav Moshe, which was printed, and the debate continued, but nevertheless, Rav Moshe said, I stand by my guns, the, the, this, there is a place to be mekil, there is no terrible Easter involved, whether it's good idea or not, Rav Moshe felt it was not such a good idea.